Warning, this podcast discusses the books in detail. It may contain spoilers. Welcome to Books and Brunch, a book club turned podcast. We're so glad you joined us. I'm Katera. And I'm Kara. Let's sit and chat and snack a while. Welcome back to Books and Brunch, and we're here to review part three of The Storyteller by Jodi Picoult. Thanks for listening in. If you made it through unscathed, I hope, because I know that we struggled through part two with just how heavy it was. So thanks for joining us. Yes, the content itself is is heavy to digest. Um, It was hard enough to read it, but then to do this, it made it, I think, a little bit harder. Because yeah. it's basically like reliving it after we did it once. Right. Um, but I'm excited to dig into the third part. Um, so if you haven't heard the first and second, go back and listen. Or read. Or read. Do both. I don't care. Um, but so the third part of this book, we jump in um, after Sage's grandmother has finished telling her story of her surviving through the Holocaust um, and what that looked like for her. The highs and lows and, you know, just the the triumph of making it through uh, and to liberation, to being liberated. Um, so it, we start in with Sage talking about how her grandmother was a survivor two times over. Um, and before she had connection to the Holocaust, she battled cancer, um, that she was small when her mother was or when her grandmother was diagnosed and had one of her breasts removed and how her mother sage's mother minka's daughter would go in and help her like in the shower and kind of run errands and that sort of things and one day uh sage was watching sesame street and she was scared of oscar the grouch and uh her mother had stepped out of sight and she kind of snuck in to the bathroom pushed the door open And she said, I noticed my grandmother on the other side, sitting on a little stool, and she turned off the water, but she was drying her body and putting powder on. My grandmother never put powder on her body. I don't know if that's a generational thing, but... My grandmother did. Did she? Mm -hmm. So she was putting powder on, and so she was talking about how her skin was kind of saggy at her elbows and her knees. Um, And then she kind of like sees this number on her arm. She said, it reminds me of the ones that the grocery store clerk scanned when we were buying groceries. And of course the scar where her left breast had been. And so grandma says, come in. I don't want to hide from you. And she, Sage is nervous. And she said, you know, it's okay. It's missing. And she said, my grandma smiled and all it, it was all it took for me to kind of realize the scar was gone and I could just see her for her again and not necessarily the scar and grandma says, um, but see how much is me is left. Like it's not all about, I mean, yes, we all have scars and hers were large with having a breast removed, but that didn't change who she was as a person or as a woman. Um, she was still her. She was more her than scar, I guess. Um, so it was just, it was a sweet, it was a sweet moment. I really enjoyed that. Um, and so she, her grandma talks about how she left after she was liberated. And uh, when she first got to America, her grandfather suggested that she join a group of people who, I guess like a support group for survivors. And she said, I didn't want that. I was in a new country. I had beautiful friends and I wanted to talk about movies and my handsome husband and so I didn't go back to that support group. I just went and got on with my life. She didn't want to relive in that, I guess, all the time. It's got to be easier, I think, to for her to put it behind her than it was to work through it. Right. Because trauma like that is, well. Well, and I think once you survive that, you go, why do I need to even think about that anymore when I've right. got this handsome husband who loves me and... He just adored Minka um, and this new life and everything. I guess I wouldn't want to really return to. Right. It's almost like, you know, I've heard I'm an addictions counselor and I've heard some people criticize AA in the way that not everyone feels this way. You know, just like I'm sure not everyone feels this way about Holocaust groups. But sometimes 
it feels like it's just like sad going over and over and over yeah. that stuff. And I think that may have been how she felt like, listen, I survived it. I don't want to go over the sad details. Of right. It. I'm just happy to be alive. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Um, and so she says, um, Sage says, well, what af- after what the Germans did to you, how could you forgive them? Um, and she said, saying it out loud makes her think of, think of Joseph. And her grandmother says, who says that I did? I could never forgive the man, that man for killing my best friend. And she said, I don't blame you. And she says, no. I mean, I couldn't, literally, because it's not my place to forgive him. That could only be done by Daria, but she can't forgive him. He made that impossible by killing her. And she said, by the same logic, I should be able to forgive um, the Hopscharfuhrer who broke her jaw, but he also saved my life. But I can't. Yeah, she really struggled with that relationship with Franz and mm-hmm. how to feel about it. You know, should right. I be mad at him or should I be thankful that he saved my life? Right. And she said, she said I hated him, not for fooling me into trusting him or even for beating me, but that he made, but because he made me lose the compassion I had for the enemy, I no longer thought of Herr Bauer, which was her German teacher in school, or Herr Fassbinder. Um, I believed one German was the same as any other, and I hated them all. And she said, which means for a moment, I was no better than any of them. Right. That one Jew was replaceable with another, that one German person was replaced, was, you know, easily Mm -hmm. replaceable. Mm -hmm. But to have that train of thought just led her to think that she wasn't any better than one, you know, than the guards that tortured and killed them. Um, So then we go to. Um, so Sage steps out, Leo is in the living room and he says, are you okay? And she says, well, she's asleep now and the nurse is here if she needs anything. And he said, look, I know how must, how hard it must be for you to hear something like that. And she said, you do this for a living, but it's not personal for you. And he said, actually, it's very personal. I've dedicated my whole life to finding the people who, you know, committed these crimes, um, and even him as a teenager was able to talk to his grandmother that she was a survivor. And so Sage asks him, he's, he, Joseph is Reiner Hartman, isn't he? And he says, well, we'll see. And she says, what aren't you telling me? And he says, I'm a federal agent. If I told you, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was a really cute section because it feels like, Leo, you know, even though he's trying to be a professional with her, mm-hmm. is really trying to also hit on her. <laughs> he's very like drawn he's to Sage. Yeah, he's really developing a relationship with her. Um, and I love that he can, like, use both of those parts. So Right. Yeah, to kind of switch it off. And, mm-hmm. um and so it's like Sage is crying and she's like, I just can't Im- even imagine some of the things that she told me. And Leo says, I've heard them a hundred times and I, it still doesn't get easier. So he um, drives Sage home. And so they're kind of like chatting back and forth and like that he has an eight track player in his Subaru. <laughs> and she's like, you need like serious XM. <laughs> like <laughs> we need to get you into current times. Um and so he, at some point, he's, she says, well, you you don't know me. And he said, but I'd like to. Like, he's making a point um, to show his interest in her um, over the course of things. And at some point, he says, do you know what you need? And he, she says, a reality check. And he says, perspective. He said, we're not going home. I have a better idea. And he brings her on a Friday night to a synagogue and he she says I told you religion's not my thing and he said yep heard you (laughs) and uh so he says just give it a chance and he holds on to her hand and he doesn't let go and um and she says when you don't understand the language being spoken you have two options you can either struggle in isolation or you can give yourself to it and she said I just let the prayers roll over me like steam she kind of paid attention to the congregation and how they were responding when the cantor is, the cantor's not a rabbi, but essentially the cantor kind of sings everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very beautiful. Like even when you don't understand the language, the notes that they use, the tone that they use, it's just really beautiful to hear. 
<clears throat> so she says the cantor steps forward and sings the mu- the music is the melody of sorrow and regret and it suddenly it hits me that they're not these words that they're singing right now are the same words that her grandmother grew up with and all these people have the same kind of iteration right like even though they grew up with it but their parents knew those things and their grandparents knew those same words and those melodies um and she says history isn't about dates and places it's about the people who fill the spaces in between and she talks about there's a prayer for the sick and healing and a sermon and then there's a blessing over hala and the wine and then it's time for the kaddish now the kaddish is actually short for the mourner's kaddish and it's a prayer for loved ones who have died and so leo if you have had someone die close to you in the last year you're supposed to recite the mourner's kaddish daily it's like a prayer to remember them by um praying for their soul to pray for their family members to pray for yourself to be able to move forward and so um leo gets to his feet and he starts reciting the mourner's kaddish And he pulls her up to her feet, and she says, immediately, I panic. Everyone's staring. She feels like the girl who doesn't know the lines to the play. And he says, just repeat after me. And so they finish this mourner's cottage, and she says, I don't believe in God, but sitting there in a room full of people who do believe, she's like, I realize I do believe in people, in their strength to help each other, and I believe that having something to hope for, even if it's just a better tomorrow, is the most powerful thing on the planet. Mm-hmm. And so then the rabbi gives this closing prayer. When he lifts mm-hmm. his face to the congregation, um, and so they don't talk about this, but when we attended a synagogue in Virginia, before we moved to Charlotte, we attended a, a synagogue locally. And... At the end of the service, the rabbi would have the men lay hands on their families, and he would sing the Aaronic benediction, which essentially is a prayer for your families. And our church just came out with this song called The Blessing. They wrote it on a Thursday and performed it Saturday. And it just, it hit me like a ton of bricks because even though the melody is a far cry from what I was used to in the congregation hearing him sing it over our congregation and have the men lay hands on their families, it's the same thing. I mean, it's the same the words thing. words are kind of the, the words are the same, same even though the, the, the melody is different. There's a version in the Catholic church as well. Is there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it just, it hit me really hard and it's become like one of my favorites and I've listened to it a hundred no. times. <laughs> and Josh is like, are you the one that's contributed a million views? Yep, that's me. Um, but it just was very, I don't know. I really love that they, that he brought her there and had her experience, even though she sh- herself does not consider herself to be Jewish or, or practice, be a practicing yeah. Jew, um, that she still found some sort of peace there. Um, even though she didn't really understand everything that was happening. Um, One of the things I was thinking about in that place, because she was describing just feeling mm-hmm. totally out of place, is have you or I ever felt out of place like that? And I don't know oh, that no. I necessarily have in like a religious standpoint, but I it made me think of when my grandmother passed away and Ronnie and I had just been married probably like three months, four months. And, um, she, so she passed away in November and, you know, Ronnie grew up Baptist, not Mm -hmm. Catholic. And I grew up Catholic. And so it was the Catholic funeral that I was talking about in a previous one. Right. And so, you know, there's lots of kneeling and standing and kneeling and up and down and up and and down and 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 also with you. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so, and Ronnie was actually one of the pallbearers. And, um, so he was with my cousin's husband and Ronnie kind of looked at him and was like, dude, I don't know what I'm doing. And he, he kind of just looked at him and was like, just follow my lead. And so right. Ronnie, like that, at that moment, you know, was feeling super out of place, but had that like mirror image to kind of like know when to kneel and know when to stand and those kinds of things. Right. Um, so it made me think of that. Like I pictured that 
scene in my yeah. head when I read this scene about like feeling out of place in that. Yeah, way. absolutely. I felt like that when my grandfather died and we had to go and his was a Catholic funeral. And I do have vague memories of visiting my grandparents when they lived in New York and attending mass with them. Um, but it was probably only a handful of times, maybe three or four times. But so when we went for the funeral, I told you all the kneeling and standing and kneeling and standing. <laughs> and then this guy at the back of the line when they did communion, who mm-hmm. finished this giant thing of wine. And then we just got the giggles, right? But So it's so different um, for every for every funeral is different, right? But so it was one of those things. I was like, I have no idea what we're doing. I'm just going to watch <laughs> everyone else who attends on a normal basis right. and then hope I don't screw something up. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's been other times, but I mean, even just starting a new school can make you feel like I don't belong here. Um, and how frustrating that can seem, um, and ostracizing that can seem like you can feel like the only person in the world in this group of people. Right. Right. Um, so they stay after the service, they stay for own egg, which essentially is a brunch and they snack on bagels and cream cheese and fruit and whatever. And so she kind of uh, thinks back, and she's trying to hide her scars, and she thinks back to what her grandma had told her about her scars, and she said, but see how much of me is left. And so for the first time in a very long time, she lifts her chin, and she faces the people. Um, She's talking to a couple, and she's like almost daring them to comment on her scars, but they don't. They just ask them if they're new in town. Um, she says it's a nice community for settling down. So many young families. And she's like, oh, we're not, uh, she's like, clearly they're assuming that they're a couple. And, uh, and so they just try to say that they're like passing through. Um, and so lots of people are just like chiming in and just checking in. And How are you guys? And I hope you enjoyed the service. And are you guys local? Um, and it was just really nice to see. Uh, like how genuine people can be and even when she was feeling so out of the loop right um, but yeah so it's just really it was really cool to see so Leo still got like his feelers out they're trying to determine if Joseph is Reiner according to Sage's grandmother's you know telling of her version of the story um, and she and Sage asks him to go for coffee and he's yes. like, Is this a date? Is this a and date? She's like, No, I'm just asking you for coffee. Just yep. And they have this conversation back and forth about like, well, you know, it's too late for me to have coffee and she says, Well, you know, they serve tea and Yes. So they're at this cafe, needless to say, when no who shows up but Adam Oh my gosh, and Adam and his wife. wife. Yeah. Arm in arm in love and he goes, Oh my gosh, hi Sage. Yeah. Yep. Oh, and, gosh, how um, awkward is this? And it's super awkward. Super so he introduces awkward. his wife, Shannon, to, to Sage, and he says, her family was one of our clients. Sage, this is my wife. And she's like, I feel sick. Um, but so then she introduces him to Leo, and Leo is just, like, charming, and Adam's, like, trying to size him up. And uh, it was just really, it was a very, like, entertaining little scene. Mm-hmm. Um and so it was just, it was a fun, it was a fun little scene. And so, so Leo is like, what did he say? He says, taking my cue. Oh, so he put, Leo puts his arm around her waist and he like says his goodbyes and leads her out of the cafe. Mm-hmm. And so as they step out, she's like, what the hell was that? He said, from your reaction, I'm assuming that was the boyfriend and his wife. And she's like, you make it sound like I'm a sex fiend. <laughs> <laughs> And she's like, no, well, yes, it's him, but no, and, you know, whatever. So he's, like, trying to size him up. Because I think like, what we forgot to say in part one is that she tried to kind of cut things off with Adam. Yeah. Um, because she had so much going on with, you know, all this stuff with Joseph and her yeah. grandma and everything. Um, but then, so the next day, Adam calls, like, a panting puppy dog and he's like trying to get back with sage and oh my gosh as i realized that you're with this new man i it real i realized how much i love you and like at some point drops the bomb i'm gonna file for divorce and she's like please don't please don't don't even bother i'm done with you i'm completely done yeah i don't want to be part of it anymore um and then leo i think comes over 
because he hasn't heard from her in a little bit and uh, encourages Sage that she needs to go and visit Joseph, that she needs to go and talk to him and find out as much information as she can from him and uh, that it should probably be done with a wire. And I don't know if we've come to that point yet, but um, so she goes to visit him again and asks him if he's sorry at all for what he's done in yeah. his time as an officer and he becomes really agitated with Sage. And so Sage says, see ya. Yeah. Bye. You know, forget well, at you. At some point he says, like, I wanted you to hate me enough to kill me. Like, I hate, I wanted you to hate me enough to want me to die. But I didn't realize how I, how that would make me feel. Like, just <clears throat> mm-hmm. make mm-hmm. him feel like a really horrible person. Right. Um, and so, like, in this conversation, she, like, works out and... uh so she's like, you know, she's like, he's like my brother, the one who worked in section four administration. He was an accountant. Uh, my rank was higher than his. He reported to me. And she's like, I touched my finger um, to like they were playing chess. And she says, no. And he says, so you were the head of administration. He says, no, I was over the women's camp. And she's like, you were the head honcho at the death camp. And he says, not the boss, but, cha- you know, high in the chain. Mm-hmm. And he said, I didn't know what was happening when I first arrived. She's like, you expect me to believe that BS. I can only, you know, whatever. He's like, my job wasn't at the chambers, but I oversaw prisoners. She's like, did you get to pick and choose? They're having this whole conversation. Mm-hmm. And he said um, that, like, he was in charge of the female prisoners. I was trying to see what other... What else there was. And so it just was interesting because, like, he, it's basically that it sounds like he, she wants him to tell her that he's sorry. Right. And he's, and she says, how am I supposed to forgive you if you're not even sorry? You have no remorse. Right. And then she's like, I can't do this. You need to find someone else. Mm -hmm. And he said, I killed them. Is that what you want to hear with my own two hands that I killed people? Um. And so this was the line that you were like, I made an an almost inappropriate joke was not at all what I meant. But she like goes to storm out and he's like, Sage, please don't. And she says, how many times did you hear those words? And how many times did you listen? Like in your face, how many times did people beg you for their lives and you took them anyway? Right. And I'm just trying to walk out the door. Right. So then she goes to the bakery and she makes Minka's rolls that her dad used to make for her. Yeah. And brings them to her grandmother. And lo and behold, there's Leo. And he's kind of like in his head reflecting about how he feels about Sage and um, that he's kind of developing feelings for her, but also has to know like his role as an FBI agent in this case. Right. Uh, so Leo brings a photo spread. Yeah. And they have to, to convince show Minka. Minka again to like, please just, just look like, at them. Just look at them. This one last thing, and this is it. And she identifies Reiner as the man who killed her best friend. And she says, "I don't know his name, but I know his face." Yep. I don't know his name. Yep. And um, so they say. Um, Leo tells her that this will be enough to convict him as long as she can testify. That they mm-hmm. can um, request that her deposition be videotaped um, versus her actually having to be in the courtroom and facing him. Yeah. And um, and she says, okay, okay, then that's great. And at the same time, Sage gets a call that Joseph is in the hospital. Yes. Um, and so she arrives and finds out that his stomach had to be pumped because he took a mixture, a lethal mixture of sodium. It's like some big name of something. But it's basically sodium mixed with his medication that, like, made him pass out. Right. It was a salt substitute. Something like that, yeah. And at that time, he tells Sage that he hadn't just asked her. She wasn't the first one that he asked to assist in his suicide. Um, But he also asked her mother because they were both moral Jews. Yeah. Yeah. So she, like, in this conversation, she's like, I never said I wouldn't help you. And he's like, but you were mad at me. She's like, you've had almost 75 years to live with this. And I need more than five minutes. Um. 
And he says, I knew you'd be upset, but you weren't my first choice. And then he says, you know, your mother, she's the first one I asked. And he said, I met her years ago at the school. Uh, she said she was hardly a model Jew, but that she was better than none. Um, and so. Then Sage says, okay. Right. Well, okay, so, so, but then the question comes up that, you know, is it like, is it that she, he was like stalking their family you know, is he looking for a retribution? Is he looking for whatever, right? And so in this conversation, she reaches for his hand, and she says, this hand, the gun that held, the hand that held the gun that killed my grandmother's best friend, I held it. I held his hand. And he tells the story. And she, she says, says I'll tell do me, it. Tell yep. me a story. Tell me from your point of view, and he tells the story about Daria. Yes. Almost kind of like reflective of what Minka has told. Yes. So it was just very, it was very bizarre almost. So they have this conversation. Actually, I think this is, bef I think that happens shortly after. Um, so she goes to get, um, oh yeah, yeah. Because he's still in the hospital. So yeah, she yeah. goes to get his dog. And she scoops up the dog, and um, she's, like, taking care of his dog, and then Adam sends her flowers. From the funeral home. From the funeral that home. That are discounted Bad. from a previous <laughs> funeral. Funeral. Ugh. Cheapskate. Right, and he sits her on the couch, and he's like, I love you, uh, whatever. I love all these little quirky things about you. Will you marry me? And she's like, seriously, aren't you forgetting something? How about you're married? And he was like, I'm filing for divorce. Please don't. <laughs> Please don't. Please Just don't. Adam, it. go home. Go home. And she's like, this time it's for real. I told him it's over. And she falls asleep. Yeah, she cries herself to sleep. And Her she takes dies. a sleeping pill. She takes half a sleeping pill. And she's just, like, wanting some rest. And so she wakes up. And um, it's Adam shaking her awake. And he's like, are you okay? She's like, I'm fine. I told you to go away. And he's like, I was worried about you. You weren't picking up your phone. And he said, Pepper called me about the arrangements. And he says, gosh, Sage, I know you were close to her, and I want you to know I'm here. And I, she starts to, like, shake her head, and she's like, what is happening? And then, um, so she goes to her grandmother's home, and her nurse, the nur Minka's nurse, tells her that she went to lay down for a nap. She was feeling tired. And when she didn't wake up for dinner, she went in to check on her, and that she found her, that she had passed away in her sleep. And she said, at least I know... It happened in her sleep that she wasn't in any pain. And Sage is devastated. Mm -hmm. Like, this is her last living family member aside from her two sisters. And she, and she was so close. That she, like, did I somehow bring this on by forcing her to tell right. the story? Oh, my goodness. And I think Leo tries to kind of calm her down and go, well, maybe you gave her the opportunity to kind of put it to rest. Mm -hmm. To be able to rest with that yes so it jumps it jumps forward to the funeral she sees adam because he works there of course um and she's like it's you know it smells funny and she doesn't want to be there um and she just asks for a minute alone with her and, and he, he makes a pass at her oh. adam makes a pass at her yes uh, but so um sage leans down and adam had opened the top the top half of the her casket and he stepped out and he's, she, like, notes what she's wearing, and her eyelashes made shadows on her cheeks. And she um, unbuttons her sleeve and rolls it up and puts concealer over her tattooed number from Auschwitz. Mm -hmm. And she says, Nana, when I grow up, I'm going to be a, as brave as you. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, it hit me hard because, like, that's, I feel bad. Like, my heart mm -hmm. hurts for her because yeah. that's so much that she's going through. Um, and she thought she, she, anyway, she thought Adam and her sister were coming back in. And so she kind of straightens herself and, um, Leo comes in and she's so thankful to see him, um, in all of this. And he kind of notes that she like looks like a raccoon, but she's beautiful. And, um, he asks where Adam is and it just makes a big thing. And he says, how did you, you know, she's like, how did you know I was here? And, um, so anyway, so he, 
she can, you know, admits to him that he she's worried that their conversation with her grandmother is what caused her to die. Um, and she's like, I can't shake the feeling that if I hadn't brought it up, mm-hmm. that this wouldn't have happened. I also like the part, this is a little back that um, when she finds out that Leo is there and she says, why are you here? And he says, you know, I just figured that you could use some family. And I thought I could be your family for you today. Aww. And I just loved that. I was like, oh, you're yes. so sweet. I know. And it, yeah, he, he says, I don't know. I didn't know your grandma the way that you did. But I could tell the way she looked at you that, you know, she loved you and mm-hmm. whatever. It's so sweet. So, you know, they have the funeral service. Um, his He jokes that his, his mother would have killed him if he'd known he was hitting on a girl at a funeral. <laughs> um, and so, like, they have the graveside and whatever. So, um, Leo and Sage sneak off. <laughs> Well, first, though, he kind of reveals to her that they can't use her story now. They can't use. Oh, yes. Um, the story because she's gone and can't testify and won't be able to testify. Right. So they can't use it. And Sage becomes really upset about it. And I think that's at the point that they sneak away and they go to a hotel. Is it Leo's hotel? I think it was Leo's hotel. Um, I can't remember. But it's like, she's like, it's only a courtyard by Marriott. And they ordered a bottle of wine <laughs> and they got some lunch. And um, and so they're talking about like movies and stuff. And they're just kind of like connecting and um, they become intimate. Yes. <laughs> and intimate like, like and... Leo kisses her and she's like, mm, no, but yes. Um, and it just... It, you know, I know that people can connect over grief like that, right? So sure. it's not super surprising. Um, well, and they had this chemistry before, so it doesn't surprise me that they... Right, and he's like, this is a mistake. And she's like, I didn't think it was a mistake. But I think as mm-hmm. far as a working relationship goes, it was probably not the best idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, I'm not usually like this. And he's like, right, because you're in love with a married funeral director. <laughs> she's like, that's over. <laughs> That's over. Um, and then they so. continue to have the conversation about Joseph. And yes. This is at the point that Leo is trying to convince her to get wired. She said He says that another person has had to do this, that it's normal. And uh, you don't want him to think you're nervous. Right. And just to have a conversation. Normal conversation. But you also want to lead the conversation because you're right. looking for So he was kind of coaching her in every which way about how Joseph might answer um, just to at least get him to admit the killing of Daria. Right. Because so what they're looking for is that um, Reiner had been written up for this. Um, and I'm trying to think of the right word for it. For the way that he killed Daria was against protocol, and right. he got written up for it. And so there's because a record. Franz had told on him. Yes, and but so there's a record of it. So if he yes. admits of this, I mean, there's only a handful of people that would have known that right. it's probably him. Right. So, um, so Sage picks him up from the hospital. Uh, p- picks Joseph up from the hospital, and um, so they're chatting and stuff, and. Um, she wants to tell him that his grandmother died, but she doesn't want him to know that her grandmother, because he might remember her. And she says, I think we need to talk. And, um, she's like kind of questioning, well, you said you knew my mother. I shouldn't have, you know, he says, I shouldn't have kept that a secret. And he says, were you looking? He says, you knew, she says, you knew my grandmother was a survivor. And he says, yes. And she says, well, were you looking for her? And in a very almost callous way, he says, I didn't know any of them by name. Mm-hmm. Like, it didn't matter because one was right. another. And I, it made me right. sad because mm-hmm. Franz got to know Minka and knew her name, even though he didn't call her by her name. I think that wasn't the way that it was. D- things were done. But at, earlier in the story, she tells that he did ask her name. Mm-hmm. And he called her by her name only once. Right. And so he says, I didn't know any of them by name. So they pull up to Joseph's house. Leo's across the street in a van. Um, Eva or Ava 
Leo or um, Joseph's dog is so excited to see him. And she's, he says, oh, my heart, I missed you. Um, and she's like, it's just this weird symbolism that, like, he's got this thing that loves him unconditionally, but he really can't love back. Um, which isn't necessarily true. We've seen Joseph to be a kind man. And he was married for, like, 15 he years. He was married for a long time. So um, she's like, we have to talk. And she hears the window above the sink is open. And so she's trying to be aware because she's wearing a recording device that everything everything is picked up. Right. Kind of like with podcasts. Yes. If someone's mowing the lawn, we can hear it. So she hears someone mowing the lawn. And so she goes, she pretends to sneeze and stands up and closes the window. And she's like, sorry, the pollen's bothering me, blah, blah, blah. And so he says, I'm afraid of what will happen after. He says that. So uh, he's concerned, but then he says no one suspects foul play when a 95-year-old man dies and there's no one left in the family, like family-wise, to ask questions. And she's like, I'm not talking about the legal aspect, just the moral one. Like, I feel silly having to ask, but how do you get over it? And he said, I... I asked you to die. Like, I asked you to help me die. Is there a difference? And she said, is there? And he says, maybe not. Because um, you'll think about it every day. I'm sure he thought every day about the thing, the terrible things he did. But he said, but I hope one day you would see it as mercy. Like, it was a mercy act to kill him, I guess. Um, And then he kind of says, well, sometimes they were just so weak it was an act of mercy to kill them. And then she says, well, what was the worst thing you did? That's where we kind of come to this head where he wants to tell um, the story. And it, she said, it strikes me as I ask the question that we're gambling. Just because Daria's murder was the one written up doesn't mean it was the worst thing he ever did. Or the worst thing that he would have told her, right? And so he tells the story. There were two girls. One of them worked for dot, 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 for my brother, in his office where he kept a safe, whatever. Um, and then he says, we all did it. You know, we took things, jewelry, your money. Some officers even got rich. And so he's like, I planned ahead. I, you know, would take money. And I got the combination of the safe. And the girl, the secretary, saw me. And when she got her friend from her job outside, I brought her to the office. He said, I couldn't let her tell my brother what she saw. So I shot her. And so Sage says, like holding her breath, you shot the girl who was the secretary? And he says, I meant to, but I had been... My hand was twitchy. But my hand was twitchy. I'd been injured on the front line, my right arm. The girls were moving and clutching at each other, so the bullet went into the other girl instead. And she's like, you killed her? And he said, yes. And I would have killed the other one too, but my brother showed up. And he saw me there with the gun and the money... What choice did I have but to tell him I found the girls? Um, and he said, my own brother didn't believe me. My own brother turned you in. And he, and so he says, whatever, to the disciplinary, whatever, committee for the camp. But not for stealing, but for shooting a prisoner against protocol. So he did get right. in trouble right. for killing her in a manner that wasn't warranted. Not that any of it was warranted, but, you know, um, there were channels that they went through right. or should have gone through. Mm -hmm. She should have been punished, not shot in the face right. in an office. Right. Um, and so she, he's like, you know, I never spoke to him again. My own brother betrayed me. And she said, what happened to your brother? And he's like, I never talked to him. I heard he died a long time ago. Please, will you, could you ever forgive me? And she says, what will that change? It won't bring them back. And he said, but at least one person will know I wished it hadn't happened. That, to me, shows some form of remorse. Right. He wants one, at least one person to know right. that he didn't want it to happen like that. And Sage says, I'll think about it. <laughs> right. Like, how do you respond to that? So she leaves. Um, she drives off. And she Leo follows her. And they pull over. And they're kind of having this conversation. He's like, you did great. Are you, you know, she's like, are you hiring? Because I did so good. <laughs> um, and she says, so it's done. He'll be deported. That's it. That's all you need. And he said, no, there's one more step. I still have to call one more person. Now that we've got his confession on tape, we'll have to see if he's willing to cooperate. 
And then we'll go back to D.C. And she's like, wait, you're leaving? You're, you're going to leave me? Don't leave me. I really like you. Like, I don't <laughs> want you to go. So he meets with Geneva as a historian who he's been working with back and forth. And um, he mentions her a couple times in previous chapters that um, she really is like the fact checker. Right. Trying to determine, is this man who, exactly who he says he right. is? So um, Geneva shows up. And, you know, well, before that, Leo is trying to convince Sage to, like, there's bakeries in D.C. You could come move to D.C. Um, and she's like, it's Joseph. I just don't feel right. Or it just doesn't feel right. And so Leo takes her hand and, and says, I know this has got to be hard for you because you knew him as someone else. Mm-hmm. As someone nice before you right. knew him as this person. I can't even imagine that. And... She's like, I can't even remember who he was before this, right? right? Like, all of those nice things, you know, went out the window when the truth came to light. So they kind of go back and forth. She talks to Mary about kind of not all of the details, but she talks to Mary about some of those things that, um, about the things that had happened. And so it it's just, it's an interesting dynamic to see it kind of unfold because leo is like trying to protect sage and is trying to be sweet to her but at the same time he still has a job to do and he might still have to leave right so she bakes she keeps on baking she bakes some yeah so rolls so she goes she goes to mary's garden um down the holy stairs whatever and she says, um, she picks up Mary's gloves and she leans over the railing and she cuts a few stalks of monk's hood. Um, I didn't know what it was. I had to I look it up. I looked it up. Too. I had to look it up. So she cuts monk's hood. Um, and so now they are having, they're having a game of chess. And when, when Joseph opens the door, he knows why he's there. And he's like, now? And she's like, sure. In the living room. They sit opposite each other on the chess at the chessboard, and the dog lays down at his feet, and he asks Sage, "You know, will you take her?" Because he knows what's about to happen, and so, um, she she says, "Yes, you know, I'll take the dog." And he's okay. He's like, "Well, do you know how?" And um, she takes off her backpack, and Joseph says, "I have something to say first. I lied to you. And you're like, what? What are you, what are you, what are you talking right. about? What could be any bigger a bombshell than you're an SS guardman? Like, really? Right. And he says, what I told you earlier today was not the worst thing I've ever done. And so she kind of like pauses and waits. And he says, I did speak to my brother again. We hadn't been in contact after the investigation, but one morning he came to me and said we needed to leave. That the Allies were liberating the camps and any officers who managed to escape, um, any officers who were lucky, they managed to escape instead of being shot and killed by remaining prisoners. So they like ended up leaving. Um, Reiner and Franz leave and they walk for days crossing the German border and... they were like looking for anything to eat and they had picked sour cherries and they were stealing from a farmer, but and granted it was a handful of cherries. Would the guy really have noticed? Right. Um, and so that was their dinner and they were arguing and whatever about what route they should take. And he says, my brother started to choke. He fell on the ground, grabbing his throat, going blue. And Joseph says, I just stared at him. Yeah, I did. I did him. nothing. I did nothing. You just let him die. He said I watched him pass a hand over his eyes, wiping them dry. And Joseph or Reiner says, "I knew it would have been easier to travel without him. He would have been more a burden than a blessing. Maybe I knew that my whole life. Mm-hmm. That it was just easier to be rid of him." And Joseph says, "I've done so many things in my life I'm not proud of." The rules don't apply when you're in a time of war. But this one was different. The worst thing I ever did, Sage, was to kill my own brother. And Sage is like, you didn't kill him. You just chose not to save him. Not to save him. And he's like, isn't that the same? I don't know that it is. I don't know. It's 
a really great. I mean, area. I guess it's a different. If I guess it's different if you're like a doctor, and you right. you know you have this code that you are you've sworn to save the life of someone. Mm-hmm. But here is. What I think what boggles my mind is that he considered his brother a burden, a man who only tried to be kind to people. Even in a time of war, he just wanted to be, like, gentle. Like, right. it wasn't in his nature to be a brute. A brute. Right. So, so yeah. So, Reiner or Joseph tells Sage, I, you know, I told you a long time ago that I deserve to die. I'm a brute, I'm a beast, I killed my own brother, and that's not even the worst of it. The worst of it is that I wish I had done it sooner. And Sage is just like, what? <laughs> what? How can you even say that? Um, so Sage uh, says there's, I, there's an irony to the fact that a girl like me who struggled against religion her whole life um, has turned to biblical justice, eye for an eye, uh, death for death, she says, you know, Sage unzips her backpack and removes one perfect roll. It has the same kind of pinched crown at the top, the same dusting of sugar that she made for her grandmother. Um, she said, but this one's not filled with cinnamon and chocolate deliciousness. And Joseph takes it from her, says, thank you. And he's like crying. And she says, eat it. Like this and is so this is what you asked her. Like a poisonous plant mm-hmm. that she cooks with, and yep. So it says he breaks it open. He can see the flecks of monkshood that she kind of diced up and chopped in there and mixed it into the batter. And he ate a bit of the roll, and he chews and swallows, and he eventually just eats the whole thing. And Sage says it's his breathing that she notices first. Right, it's labored yeah. and heavy, and he's fighting for air. He falls forward, knocking pieces off the chessboard. And so she takes him and settles him on the floor. The dog's barking and, you know, Sage just kind of like, go, go, you know, leave him be. And she said, to show compassion would elevate me from the monster he was. To show, re- to show revenge would prove that I'm no better. Um, in the end, she did both. Mm-hmm. So doesn't she just leave? So as he's like in his final moments... Um, she says, Joseph, and she like leans in really and close and like says really loud so that he knows that she knows that he hears him. She's like, I will never, ever forgive you. Like, that's the last he doesn't need. She can't forgive him. Right. According to uh, the way that that a Jewish person would handle things like he can't be forgiven by Daria because Daria's dead. She can't give him forgiveness. And that's what he's looking for. Um, and so she can't give him forgiveness. Nor can Minka now because she's dead. Because she's dead. So, and then it says, in one last desperate effort, Joseph manages to grab Sage's shirt. And on his last breath, he says, how does it end? And she says, his eyes roll back in his head and she steps over him and just picks up her stuff and walks out. She's like, like this, this is how it ends right here. So she takes a sleeping pill. She goes home. She takes a sleeping pill, gets some sleep. Geneva shows up, um... And it's like, good, I'm glad to meet you. I suck at playing Cupid. I'm glad Leo found someone nice. Um, And so they pull into Joseph's driveway and they're like, game on. Um, So the point of having Geneva there was like if Joseph panics and starts fudging details, she can point out inconsistencies, right? So they get out and they go to the door and uh, they don't, he doesn't answer the door. Well, we know why. But Leo doesn't know yet. Um, and so they get into the house. Um, Sage is like, there's a spare key. So they get in the house and they find Joseph laying on the floor. Uh, his skin's a little blue. His eyes are open. And Sage is like, Joseph, wake up. Joseph. <laughs> like, very nonchalant, <laughs> right? Um, and so Leah's like, I'm sorry, Sage. And she and so Geneva says, another one bites the dust, boss. <laughs> Because at this point, I mean, and Leo mentions it in, a, in an earlier chapter that his job is difficult. Right. And the more time, the more that time passes, the older these people are. And so the fact that he still has a job is kind of 
Right. Right. Like it's kind of surprising that he still even has a job that there's still people. Right. So it's not terribly unexpected, I think, for them to find someone who's deceased because he's 95 years old. Right. Um, So then they call the police and like EMS or whatever, right, to come. Right. And so so Sage, Sage is holding the- his break. Well, she sees his hospital bracelet mm-hmm. and that says his blood type is B positive. And she's like, that's not right. I don't think that's right. And so she opens Leo's briefcase and pulls out the file on him, uh, which she shouldn't have done. But it says whatever is a photo of Reiner Hartman. The birth date is the same, but it had a different blood type. Hart- Reiner had a blood type of AB. And it was like, wait a second. Then why would the hospital band, they drew his blood. They knew he was, you know, be positive, which meant Joseph wasn't Reiner. So then she goes into his bedroom to get his notebook. Yes. On the nightstand. Yep. So she goes into his room. And so what does it say? Let's see. She opens the nightstand and inside is a pack of tissues, a bottle of aspirin, a pencil, and the journal he always carried. The one she ran out to him in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, she ran out to him when he was getting on the bus. And she says, I know what I'm going to find before I even open it. And she said, they're small cards with scalloped edges that have been carefully taped to the corners to tape them to the page. Picture side down, the tiniest, most careful handwriting. Handwriting, I recognize, Sage recognizes. Um, and she says, I can't read German, but I don't have to. In order to know what I found. And I carefully peel the card away from the yellowed paper and turn it over. And in there's a baby in the photograph written in ballpoint pen across the bottom. Her, the name is Anya. And each of the cards that is taped in this notebook is a photograph. Named, labeled Gerda, Herschel, Haim. And then it says the story stops before the version that my grandmother gave me. The version she recreated after she was safe. So Joseph was never Reiner Hartman. He was Franz. The brother. He, the brother, the nice brother who kept her safe that whole time. And it says that's why he couldn't tell me about what he did all day long. Because he never did it. He never did. Every story he told Sage was, of his, brothers. was, was his retelling of his brothers. Except for the one... He, he told her about watching Reiner die. The worst of it is that I wish I had done it sooner. Can you imagine being the nice one? Mm-hmm. Knowing that your brother behaved that way and treated people like that. And having no ability to... To stop it. Stop. Which yeah. is why he was... Which is why he reported him. Right. right. And which is why he let him die. Right. So... And so Sage says that the room spins around her. She killed an innocent man. So why? Why is it that she, why would he lie? Like, I'm just mind blown. It's almost as if he took the guilt of two. Yeah. Which then makes me wonder if, did they really have the same birthday? And I don't remember them saying this in the beginning. Were they twins? I don't think they're twins. They had different birthdays. I believe so. I mean, I couldn't go back now and look, but. Well, because it said when she looked at the hospital bands. I mean, I guess you could have changed when your birthday was. Yeah, because easily. it says, I mean, his hospital band said Joseph um, Joseph Weber. Right. With his brother's birthday. Right. And his own birth type. Like, that was the that, his own blood type. That was the only thing accurate about his band. I think he just was so compassionate and felt so sorry for what all of the guards had done was that he took that all on himself and right just was guilty powerless to stop it yeah so lack of ability right so leo finds her in in his room and he says the police want to talk to you i told you told the police that you're basically next of kin and he says what are you doing in here and she's like well i was checking his nightstand i thought he might have an address book or something and he says did you find anything and she just looks him in the face and shakes her head no. Like, I... And then it just ends. <laughs> and that's it. I look I look Leo in the eye. 
and shake my head. That's that's the last sentence. And so right. I <clears throat> had a really hard time wrapping my head around all of that. And Jody's got a couple of questions in the back if we want to dig in. I know we've only got a couple minutes left, but I want to dig into um, to some of those questions and see what it is that we can do. Just to kind of compare and see um, kind of what that looks like. Um, I really liked this question. Joseph is like trying to question, um, you know, is she Jewish? How Jewish are you? And it and the question is, um, given that Sage doesn't identify as a Jewish person and doesn't even believe in God, is she any less qualified to help Joseph carry out this idea? Mm. And then what what degree does Joseph plan hinge on Sage being Jewish? I think he I think he sought her out because she was. I think he sought her out because he knew she was related to Minka. Right. And I think he really, you know, being that we now know that he was Franz, he knew that who she was. Oh, absolutely. And he knew her name. And wanted to, would avenge what Mm -hmm. his brother did. Oh, yeah. Maybe to make it right. In some way. Right as right as he can. Oh, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. That really does. I really enjoyed this book on some level and on others I didn't. So this is, if you never have read a Jodi Picoult book, while this is to some degree some of her normal writing style, this is also very apart from how she normally writes. Yes. It's usually not this uh, even physically lengthy, you know, in that Part two, those two chapters were super lengthy. That is not typical of Jody's writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I struggled with that. That's one of the reasons why I love Jody is that she breaks stuff up. So there were like breaks where things would transition in different times or a different right. story or something. And like you kind that. of needed a, a pause because right. it was so heavy emotionally. Right. Um, but I, I struggled with this book. I really enjoyed it. And I, lo- I still love Jody. This doesn't change my I know. Doesn't my doesn't change my um, feelings upon it, but um, I really struggled with this book. So I know for that we talked about it and we had another book in mind for next month, but we have changed our minds and gone with a little lighthearted topic yes, for next time. A little but, comedic relief. But I know that um, I liked this book, but I didn't at the same time. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm with you. It was it was a. A difficult read because of the topic, right? Yeah. Um, do you have any other questions? Uh, I don't know. I think, you know, we've covered a lot of it. Um, I really liked having the perspective of different stories. And, you know, we talked about having that storyteller in the family. And um, one of the questions that is in the back of the book, because, you know, Jody always has book discussion questions at mm-hmm. the back of her books. Um, is, you know, there's Jody P- Jody's perspective, there's Minka's perspective, there's Leo's Sage, perspective. Leo, all of them as storytellers and how it's all put together. And on one part, that's really cool. And on the other part, it's really hard to follow. Yeah, it can be very hard to follow. Um, and so I hope that you all don't, struggle with our ability to kind of review it because it was it, it is a lot there's at least five or six perspectives to have to draw from and yeah put together and um it definitely wasn't a psychological thriller like we read the last time but definitely right. mm-hmm. you know kind of kept you guessing in some ways for the fact of you know there were so many stories kind of coming together all, all right at once. absolutely so I hope you guys will join us for our next book. Our next book is called Sorry Not Sorry, and it is by Sophie Renald. I hope I'm saying that right. So it's kind of a silly, fun. Um, maybe goofy. Yeah, goofy. Uh, maybe a little inappropriate. So, But I think we need a little <laughs> giggle laugh after yes, this last one. This was... Um, um, yeah, well, we've we've said it. I mean, it was yeah. a, a a difficult read just in the topics yeah. aspect, but yeah. 
Um, that doesn't make it any less important. No. Um, and I love that all of Jodi Picoult's novels really make you dig deep and process how you would handle yourself in that situation. Yeah. Um, and just maintaining empathy in a world that can feel so like a lack of empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it just is incredible. Also in the back of the book, there is Minka's rolls and there's a recipe in here for the same cinnamon and chocolate rolls that Minka's father bakes for her and that Sage bakes that I attempted this morning and failed at. It might have been that my yeast was not good anymore, but I like watched it bloom. It just didn't rise for me. So we went with plan B and had cinnamon rolls and uh, some fruit and stuff. So still delicious. Also, can I just say that Kara saved the day with this wine? (laughs) (laughs) So Manischewitz is a good kosher Jewish wine, um, and traditional for Passover is the Concord grape. But some well, my far favorite is one called Cream Peach, and it is it is very delicious, delightful, smooth, delightful, just very peachy. So if you and like sweet, foodie, so if you don't like dry wine, right. you might want to give this a try. Yes, sometimes um, hard to find, but. It can be a little tricky to find, but it is worth it if you can find it, yes. and it's under $10. Yes. <laughs> yes. So we hope you guys will join us again for our next book. Uh, give us a shout. Give us a review. We would love any reviews. And DM us at Books and Brunch Podcast on Instagram, and you can email us at booksandbrunchpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later. Bye.